I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Julia, this is it. Oh, my God. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Your first time skydiving can be a little nerve-wracking, but don't worry. I'm strapped to your back. You're going to do great. Are you sure? Of course. Just remember, though, whatever you do, make sure... Okay? Or you'll die. What? (laughs) I'm just messing with you. A little skydiving humor there, that's all. You'll be fine. Okay, that's not funny. I'm freaking out. All right, I've been an instructor for 15 years, and I've done over 10,000 jumps. You're in good hands. Okay, it's our turn. Scooch on over to the door there. Oh, God. Ready? No. One, two, three. Ah. What's going on? Why didn't we go? Oh, I forgot to tell you. I always jump on the count of five. What? <laughs> gotcha. I always get people on that one. Four, five, go. Ah. Put your arms out. Oh, you're doing great, Julia. Oh, oh my God. All right, now, before I forget... Uh, okay, you know what? Just stop it. Don't say anything more. Oh, but wait, wait. Just shut up. I am sick of your corny jokes. Pull the cord already. Boy, uh, this is embarrassing. I get what you were saying before. I apologize, but I accidentally forgot to shoot. You what? I, I really wish this was one of my hilarious Dave-O originals. You know, I tell them all the newbies, but to be honest, I just plum forgot it. Okay, no parachute. Oh, don't worry. I brought something else instead. What? Yeah, it's no parachute, but it's colorful and amusing and hangs like a motherly love canopy protecting us from danger. I don't want to die. It's, it's... From the beautiful Latin theater in Portland, Oregon. Don't hate it because it's beautiful. Hate it because of all the snarky hipsters getting their beard hair in your frappuccino. It's Livewire. And now it's the host of Livewire with a message to kids to stay in school. Seriously, all summer, just stay in school and off her lawn. Courtney Habeister! Thanks so much for coming out, you guys. We've got a really great show for you tonight. Um, We've wanted to have him on for a while. Uh, The cartoonist and creator of Too Much Coffee Man, Shannon Wheeler, is with us tonight with an excerpt from the Too Much Coffee Man opera. So we're pretty excited about that. We also have a guest that we've wanted to have on since the inception of this show, six years ago. Internationally known, master of puppetry and kinetic theatrical design, including the puppets for The Lion King, Michael Curry is here with us tonight. 
And our musical guest is the doo-wop-tinged poppy goodness of Dirty Mittens. So it's going to be a really great show. Uh, but first, please meet the amazing members of Faces Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Laura Smith, the stunning Pat Janowski. And uh, as usual, we have poet Scott Poole, the author of The Cheap Seats. He'll be in our audience tonight. He'll be writing feverishly as the show progresses. And at the end of the show, what he'll do is he will present us with art. It'll be a poem that encompasses all we've learned tonight during the course of the night. So we'll see Scott at the end of the show. And uh, we can't do the show ever without our extraordinary house band. Please welcome Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Um, so I don't know if you guys did you guys see that Nikki Haley she's the married front runner for Republican governor of South Carolina that she that another person has come out that has claimed to have an affair with her um, I think it's frankly appalling that no woman has done this before I just I feel like I, I and I know it's it's not okay it's not okay what she did but it just feels like in the past have you noticed like women's political scandals have all been sub non scandals like oh Michelle Obama's arms are showing what huh? get a camera you know and oh oh Hillary Clinton has cankles I think and she may be showing them she may actually be showing her legs these are not and oh Michelle Bachman is the devil that's not that's actually a scandal and I think it's true so they should be covering that one but I just I'm I'm kind of I feel like and then even not in politics women's sex scandals have always been you know Demi Moore sleeping with someone who's much younger or there are are sex tapes of women having sex with their boyfriends (laughs) that's not a sex scandal they're 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 in loving relationships and they're doing it and that's just touching, really. It's not really a scandal. So all I just, I just want to say, I just, I want to thank, I want to thank Nikki Haley for, for bringing political women into the 21st century and right up there with the same jackassery as the, as the political men. And, uh, you know, I, but your behavior's not okay, but behind closed doors, I'm going to say, uh, you know, well done. And frankly, I didn't think a Republican had a dinner. So that's all I'm saying. Uh, but moving on to more important matters, like our first guest. Our next guest has been cartooning. Uh, he, he started cartooning in college, and then after graduation, he moved to Austin, Texas. And I would imagine some experience in a coffee shop helped inspire the character of Too Much Coffee Man. Dark Horse Comics has published five graphic novels that cover his work, and until 2009, he was a regular contributor to The Onion with a sometimes pornographic gag cartoon strip called Postage Stamp Follies. And after that, the swanky New Yorker began running his cartoons. The unpublished submissions will be out later this year in a book called I Thought You Would Be Funnier. Here to present an excerpt from the Too Much Coffee Man opera, please welcome Shannon Wheeler to Livewire.
Welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, I think there's some people who may not be familiar with Too Much Coffee Man, and I thought that, that you might be able to explain who he is and what he looks like, I think, as well, so people can picture out on our radio, out in Radio Land, what. <laughs> um, Too Much Coffee Man is, well, he's, he's kind of what you'd expect. He's a big guy that has had too much coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's always constantly overthinking, um, falling in love when inappropriately, right. freaking out probably appropriately, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a lot of a lot of coffee shop uh, thoughts and you know sort of philosophy, cheap philosophy stuff. But he, he and he's dressed like a superhero in these sort of red long johns long, that actually have the flap in the back. Union suit. It's union, a union suit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with a giant coffee hop. A giant coffee cup on his head, so mm-hmm. he can just you know, he straight to the, the brain. He doesn't have the sunniest disposition for a comic book <laughs> character. No, I mean, well, the neat thing is, uh, like, I go to comic conventions, and I, the superheroes are always walking around, you know, in costume, and we've brought Too Much Coffee Man down there before, and everybody's like, oh, Wolverine, you know, but you, people see Too Much Coffee Man, and they're like, oh, Too Much Co-, and they smile, and they wave, and all the kids start laughing, so... Yeah, he's a pretty happy, in a way, very happy little guy. Oh, or yeah. Big guy. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, can you bring us up to date? We're, gonna, we're actually going to, you're going to perform a little, ex- not you, but no, there, no. there will be a little excerpt here. Can yes. you talk about where we are in the show? Sure. This is uh, towards the beginning. The Too Much Coffee Man opera, something that uh, composer and I wrote about three years ago, and then it's played about four times, three or four times. We've done it in Portland, done it in... San Diego, and then we'll do it in Astoria coming up. And in the piece that's going to be performed by Daniel McLaughlin, an actual opera singer, is Too Much Coffee Man starts by falling in love with love, and then it's just this love song to love. And then the song you're going to hear is then he figures that it must be coming from somewhere, and it's coffee that he sees, and he decides he's in love with coffee and sings his love song to coffee. And then he sees the barista and falls in love with her, and then it, you know, then the plot really begins. So this is really right towards the beginning, and it's just a straight-out love song. Yeah, it's a good uh, tact on his part to actually just fall in love with a source, you know? <laughs> yeah, slowly move, you know, up meth the Meth addict up falling in love with a meth dealer. Well done. <laughs> exactly. Should we uh, bring out Daniel? Yeah, then? absolutely. Please welcome uh, Daniel McLaughlin. Quick note, in the show, it's not done a cappella. However, the music's a little bit weird, so a cappella it is tonight. <clears throat> coffee, coffee, you're warm and wonderful, your body and your being. You stimulate, articulate, and fill me with caffeine. Your dark roasts and shivers down my bony spine. You're really quite a cat, like a perfectly aged wine. Perhaps you think I'm joking, and perhaps you are down pathetic. I will always love you even though you're diuretic. (laughs) You're hidden by shadows and shrouded by mystery. How caffeine got into a bean and drank throughout history. 
Your past is dismissed. It is your future I am concerned with. I'm enticed by your aroma, but afraid of getting burned. Just you and me coffee together till I'm old and bald. I promise to adore you if you promise not to scald. Can we be together? Perhaps walk by the sea. But now my thoughts are turning, perhaps due to ADD. That's attention deficit. This what? The girl of my dreams who serves me coffee every day. She is breathtaking, beautiful, like the sun's golden rays. Her supply is overflowing. She smells like roasted beans. I hang on every word. Watch how she stands and leans. Daniel McLaughlin. <laughs> it was so touching. <laughs> I just can't wait to see what happens. And they'll be they'll be performing Act One of the opera at the Astoria Music Festival on June twenty third. Yep. Um, I wanted to just talk about the impetus for this opera. It's really a coffee opera isn't really top of mind. So what what was the impetus for actually putting this to music for you? Well, the, actually, I thought it was a terrible idea when I started. Um, the composer Daniel Crafts approached me and said that he really wanted to do one, and I I just thought, oh, that's awful. I'm doing an opera was just bad idea. But every year he's like, oh, we should do that opera. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And it, it wasn't until I had a dream where I saw Too Much Coffee Man or heard Too Much Coffee Man singing in my dream and I woke up thinking, wow, I should really do a musical or something with music and Too Much Coffee Man. And Do you then, remember what he was singing in your dream? It was, it was a love song to coffee. <laughs> That's there you what go. it was. It was um, yeah, and I, all day long I was thinking, who do I know that could write music with me and, and do something like this, and then it was probably end of the day. I was like, "Oh wait, there's this guy that's been bugging me who writes operas he's, for two years. Now he's bugged me to to do an opera." And I thought, "Yeah, let's do it." And so we started. It, it, I don't know, it was a blast. It was great. And you've been you've been drawing too much Coffee Man for a long time. It's is did you start drawing him in like 1990, 19... 91, Yeah, okay. I started at, at mini comics. Um, I would draw these little tiny comics and photocopy them and staple them myself. How and many did on that initial run did you staple all by yourself? Well, I started photocopying them and I would sell out every week. I started selling them at just local shops in Austin. And then I went to a printer and he said, we, we did a print run of uh, 10,000. And he said it would be a lot cheaper if I stapled them because they were small. And if I stapled, so I stapled 10,000. Yeah. Um, How'd that work out? It was, I watched a lot of miniseries. <laughs> Did you? Like I, Claudius, and Roots, and yeah, a lot of five-hour, you know. Right. And then we did a second print run, and I stapled 12,000 more. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I was just wondering, since you've, been, since you've been working with this character for so long, when you, when you went into this different medium, 
did it change your relationship to the character? Did you learn more about him? Did it rejuvenate? What, how did that affect your relationship to the character? Well, you know, I, it just, working on it, you know, I got so involved, it all seemed really normal, just, just doing a little too much Coffee Man opera. You know, it just seemed like the thing to do. But then the opening night, I was sitting in the audience, and I, I was in the back, and I saw this sea of people, and I saw this guy came out dressed as this cartoon character that I'd thought of, you know, 10 years before. And all of a sudden I realized how weird it was. And just, I was like, oh, this is a very, it's a, yeah, it was, and then the, when he was in the costume too, he would always mess with me and like stand over me. And it just, it, it, it was very, very odd. It was like having one of your dreams all of a sudden manifest in front of you. Well, and it's, it's really is what a, it's what a screenwriter generally does, but cartoonists, you know, unless you, you get a, a huge film company making a film, you don't generally get to see your characters manifested in that way, walking around. Yeah, and I think this is the first opera based on a comic book, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's shocking to me. It is shocking. I, um, I was looking for an art form that would pay less than comics. Yeah. My... <laughs> well done. Well done. I wanted to ask you, you were recently on a panel at, P- at PSU with uh, Chuck Palahniuk mm-hmm. and, and Ursula Le Guin, and you said that you were going to talk about um, this th- throwing out the things you love but fighting for the things that you believe in, and I was wondering, for you as an artist, how do you make that decision about what you fight for? Well, yeah, it, it, when I've had to fight, it's like when I, I've optioned to Hollywood and they say things like, oh, what does too much coffee man do as a job? And who's his girlfriend? And what are what's his origin? Like that was the big thing in Hollywood is always what the origin is. And I'd be like, no, it doesn't need an origin. He's just he drinks coffee and he's too much coffee man. <laughs> and so that's you know fighting for a little bit of mystery um, would be something to fight for. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah. I would have loved to have been in on that conversation. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, it was great having you, and we love the excerpt. Audience members, if you're in Oregon, uh, it's June 23rd in Astoria yep. Yep. at the Astoria Music Festival. Thank you so much for joining that was us. my pleasure. Shannon Thanks Wheeler. cartoonist Shannon Wheeler and you're listening to Live Wire Radio, the variety show that offers your short attention span a shiny new audio toy to play with every seven minutes or so. Coming up, acclaimed puppeteer Michael Curry, poet Scott Poole, and music from Dirty Mittens. We'll be right back after this short break.
Welcome back to LiveWire. And now, Faces for Radio Theater. Hop in, folks. Uh, where to? One New York Plaza, please. Financial District. Ho, ho, welcome to Cash Cab, the only game show that takes place, place right, right here in this taxi. Oh, yes. Yes. It sounds like uh, you two have heard of Cash Cab. Heard of it? We live for it. Oh, yes. yes. You ask us general knowledge questions. They start off easy, then get harder. As long as we keep getting them right, we keep winning money all the way to our destination. Uh-huh. But get three wrong and you kick us out. I'm Gene, this is Elaine, and yes, we want to play. We have to play, we have to win. Get a hold of yourself, woman. We cannot blow this. The stakes are too high. Wow, uh, you might be the most excited contestants we've ever had. Oh, uh, you have no idea. I'm a financier from uh, Denver, and I'm about to be indicted for some dubious investment strategies. He ran a Ponzi scheme. Allegedly, allegedly. And we got to win the hammer was coming down, so we took what was left of the money we scanned and came to New York to get on Cash Cab and win enough moolah to pay off the suckers. I mean, investors. That's an interesting plan you it's got there. It's genius. We sleep in the bus station during the day and ride cabs at night because in cash cab after hours, the prize values are doubled. And by going from one end of Manhattan to the other, we maximize the potential payout. We've covered all the bases. It's foolproof. We're taking the show for every mother-loving penny. Yeah. We have to. We've already spent three months and 27 grand in cab fare, so let's ride. Come Big on. money. Woo! Big, Big money. money. Restitution. Jail time. Restitution. Woo! Okay, calm down. Uh, jeez. First question worth $50. Bernie Madoff illegally made off with $65 billion in what kind of scheme? Are you kidding me? This was meant to be, baby. A Ponzi scheme. That's right. Oh, booyah. Yeah. Uh, But I'm sorry to say we've reached your destination. The game's over. What the? We're going to the financial district. This is the financial district, one New York plaza. We traveled a block and a half. But I thought we started in Harlem. No, we started in Harlem on the last leg. Son of a... The good news is that you won $50. Uh, You can bet it all on the video bonus question and double your money. But if you answer incorrectly, you could lose it all. Oh, the entire 50 bucks, huh? Well, you know, it might buy a lot of smokes for whoever makes you their prison bride. (sighs) All right, we'll do it. Okay, take a look at the screen. Answer this question. This Sanskrit word represents the Hindu concept more commonly known to Westerners by the phrase, what goes around comes around. Sanskrit? What? What the hell kind of question is that? I have no freaking clue what that is. It's something Indian. Say something Indian. I need an answer. Uh, Uh, Tandoori chicken. No, uh, it's karma. Oh no, that's just not fair. Actually, it kind of is. It's it's karma. No, it's a crock is what it is. We've been robbed. You ruined everything. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Not, not just like, oh, please. oh my god. Oh my god, what have I done? Is he is he I don't know. We we, we gotta get out of here. Go, Elaine, just go. Oh, which way do we run? This way, come on. Freeze, police! Oh, gee, look, it's cops! Oh, what gave that away when they said freeze police? No, no, I mean the show, cops! See, they have a camera crew. You know what? Nah, nah, there's no money in appearing on cops. Just keep running. Oh, where, Gene? Run where? We can't I don't know. Run I don't know. Taxi! Taxi! Evening, folks. <laughs> drive, man. Just, just drive. Sure thing, buddy. But just so you know, you're on HBO's Taxi Cab Confessions. Anything you want to get off your chest?
Our musical guests tonight began in the Northwest in 2006 as a trio, but since then they've expanded as guest musicians turned into permanent musicians, and their sound grew as they did. They've been working furiously on a new record with some great guest musicians like Matt Sheehy of Ramona Falls and Laura Gibson, and tonight they're going to share a couple of songs from that record. Please welcome Dirty Mittens. Like cotton in my 
Thanks, you guys. Dirty Mittens. They'll be back later to sing another song. That was Dirty Mittens, and you're listening to Livewire, the radio show that's bringing you the best music, comedy, and conversation in the entire world. In order. We're through the letter D now, so stay with us. Coming up, puppeteer Michael Curry, who we missed while we were still in the seas, and poet Scott Poole. Well, if you drive out of Portland, Oregon, down Highway 30, about 30 miles, you'll find yourself in Scappoose, Oregon. And in Scappoose, you'll find a warehouse filled with some of the most magical things you have ever seen. That's where Master Puppeteer Michael Curry's workshop is, and it has to rival Santa's workshop for its just pure, wonder-inducing majesty. In it, you'll find samples of the award-winning puppets he created with Julie Taymor for the Broadway production of The Lion King, and some of the most complex, beautifully articulated full-body puppets and set designs you've ever seen. He's won a Drama Desk Award, a Los Angeles Critics Award, and two Emmys for his work on the opening ceremonies for the Olympic Games. Please welcome Michael Curry to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your family history, that you come from a long line of innovators. You're, can, you, can you talk about your grandfather a little bit? My grandfather was a uh, repaired logging equipment here in Oregon, but he was an inventor and worked his entire life uh, perfecting a perpetual motion marine engine uh, and had no success, no real success, but it, I watched him for... Uh, 25 years working on this thing and in fact would be invited to help his launches at seven years old we would go out in these boats and they don't work so you would have to row back (laughs) and I was the only child the only grandson the only relative would ever go with him again but it 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 proved to me that it was it was okay to pursue a dream well it's interesting that you were the only one who would go with him because you've You've, you're the one who's turned into this great innovator. Was, what was it about that experience? Do you think that that inspired you in some way? Oh, I'm sure it did in that, in that um, work without the usual results and the usual acclaim is okay. When you go into the arts, you, you do much better when you don't consider success. You consider, <laughs> you consider the process. So. Wow, yeah. So just to talk, uh, you were a sculptor in New York, um, and my understanding is that your kind of big break, your big business break came from Siegfried and Roy. Mm -hmm. Is that true? How did that happen? Um, John Napier, the designer of of, of Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, uh, and Starlight Express, was really hot in the early 80s, and I did a, uh, I made a costume, I was a professional sculptor painter, having moderate success in New York City, but I loved costuming, and I built a pterodactyl costume and marched in the Greenwich Village, East Village um, Halloween Parade, which is a huge counterculture event with 35,000 people in costume, and I wore this pterodactyl costume for 14 hours, and I was spotted by one of John Napier's assistants who had been trying to configure an evil queen, a winged 
diva for the Siegfried and Reusche, who are German-born magicians in Las Vegas. And he saw in my wings, on my pterodactyl, this thing, and so I was invited to his studio. I didn't know who he was. I hadn't seen Broadway shows. I was a oh. fine artist. And uh, I, <laughs> I, met, I met him, and all, they had all these drawing tables with drawings of wings and things, and I knew exactly how to do all of them. And left there with a, a quarter-million-dollar contract and invited all my artist friends saying, we're in, the, we're in the theater business. And, and from then, it's been a sort of a pinball game of, you know, sort of things going back and forth. And it was the medium that found me, rather than me finding the medium. My, my sculpture on stage is far better than the gallery. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about how you, you've motorized some of your costumes, but for you, it's watching them on the human body. And so you hadn't really thought of that prior to, to meeting this man, putting your sculptures into movement. No, but I had for years been watching my sculpture sitting there in the room lacking something. Mm -hmm. And it was movement. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then, and so I think you started working with Julie Taymor. Sculpture is a very singular pursuit, generally. What was it like for you to start collaborating with people? Much better, because many fine artists don't know this, but they're, by being alone in a room contemplating the intellectual process of being a fine artist, you, you become very lonely and dark. When I invite fine artists to come work with me, they often make a breakthrough that collaboration, the sounding board that others provide you with, is, is, is exponentially greater than two people. What I found was a community of people that made me very happy, interactive, always joyous. Um, left to myself, I found myself in a sort of a dark world. I, like most fine artists, I wanted to be very intellectually profound, and, and uh, you know, I drank, I did everything you're supposed to do. And, uh, <laughs> but when I finally started working with the six or eight people that are the usual team in theater, I found, and a story to tell, a clear story, a premeditated story, instead of the story developing during the process of making a painting, I went forward with a concept, and I could easily, fle- that, those fences, those boundaries actually provided me a freedom that allows you to blossom in a strange way and allows you to speak in a mature voice that might have been amateur otherwise. Well, and you did have a clear vision. How was it for you to impart that vision to the people working on your team? And did you, was, was, that, was it easy to immediately just be in collaborating and taking input and incorporating into your own ideas? I was always the, you know, the class president or the head of the, my group or I was the one pushed forward to talk to the police when they came. And... <laughs> And so I've always been the sort of leader, and it's, it's a sort of paternal thing. And people that lead teams of artists tend to be that person. I just, you know, to be a sort of a good shepherd of these very strange flock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, it's not something that you see a lot in the creative world, actually. Generally, creative people have difficulty leading. They're, so. they're shy, and yeah. that's why they're artists. They think that they can go hide behind that. I urge artists to, to speak with their chin up, their chest out, and ask for the money. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Um, So these costumes that you create, many of them are motorized. Uh, They're stunningly beautiful pieces of art, but they're also really intricately designed. How much do you feel that you are a creative artist, and how much do you feel like you're an engineer? Well, they both have a function um, 
if my things don't have a function practically, they won't ever end up on stage. So our specialty is lightweight, comfort, and scale. Uh, we, we, we work in titanium and carbon fiber, things that you would think aircraft builders would use. But when done right, it makes the effort so minimal to the performer that they, they are themselves. They, they are not restricted. So that's very important. They, they serve both things. There are plenty of good engineers and robot builders, but they don't have much of a sense of sculpture or aesthetic. And to blend that, and I speak about aesthetic first, and I find the function in engineering to support that aesthetic. So I speak a lot to engineers about starting from the outside. What do you want your audience to see? And strip away that and see what's inside. Don't start with a foundation and then just apply all the practical layers on. And then you have, you have a generic schmaltz. Right. And how much, how much are the da- are actual dancers or actors a part of that process for you when you're creating those? Huge. It's a collaboration. I finish the product and then I give it to you and you give it another life. The human body is more important than my elements for me. And so I think that's been the success of it. I don't supersede the emotion and the quality of live theater. I mean, there's a good, a good analogy is why are we watching live theater here? Because it's why we are watching live radio. It's exciting. And in today's society, where we see most things recreated on monitor, the palpable energy of being in a live audience is making theater actually becoming more popular. Theater is not in danger of dying. It's actually a, a, the new experience is somebody in the audience saying, this is really happening. Right, right now, yeah. in front of us. And it's shocking. It's a new special effect. <laughs> right. Right. So do you, the work that you do is so incredibly complex and, and challenging. Ha, has there ever been a project for you where it, you thought that you could do something and it turned out it just wasn't possible? My big challenge has been, honestly, trying to find a medium, a, a story, a, a look, one image that can touch all people, the highs and lows of culture, um, Internationally, so we stri- I strive a great deal in trying to find that common verb. Uh, this is, I mean, because you've you've worked with Olympic opening ceremonies quite a bit, so that seems like a an issue that you would absolutely have. Literally, you are trying to design for the entire world. Some of the pieces that you do are, are such large scale. Um, there was a huge uh, elephant that you did. Um, I think that was for the two thousand two Olympic Games. I've done seven elephants. I just finished one last week. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so how does that process begin for you? If I come to you and I say, I need a gigantic elephant, I, yeah, go. I, I, I ask you a great deal about what the story is, and I ask to hear the music, and um, I need to know all the sort of detritus that surrounds that elephant. And then, and then in, the image generally comes to me very early in the process. The very early, what I call the golden minute, is really important. So I, I have face-to-faces with the director, and they speak, and um, there's a sort of autokinetic quality that comes out where I, I, I can start seeing the image, and I, we start sketching. And, I start, and the golden minute for you is the moment when yeah. you start seeing, actually seeing Yeah, it and I don't use head? reference. I don't Google the subject. I don't Google elephant. I don't look at images. You don't watch elephants move, or for The Lion King, you didn't watch cats move? That's amazing to me. Later I do, but not for the, not for the conceiving of oh, an right. idea. And it's a huge issue right now in young designers because... I go to design summits around the world, and uh, everybody shows up with the same 17 pictures because they Googled the subject. (laughs) And I'm the one that say, turn off your cell phones. And then we start start like a Rorschach test. We start over again, and we sort of say, what what does it mean to you? Okay, what about the elephant 
in the tundra? What about the elephant in ice? What about the elephant in space? And I just mix up your mind a little bit and get away from the preconceived images. It's a huge issue with design right now, with um, reference. And so how do you get away from those preconceived issues? Do you go to other art? No, you, do you, you just go inside? No, it's another whole subject, but it's, it's listening to your instincts, your signals from within. They are there, you're expert. All this thing that you might think random is really not possible to be random. You've been conditioning your mind for years and years and years. And so when an inspiration comes to you, when the color blue comes to you, it's the result of thousands of hours of practice. And, and you have to trust that blue is the right color. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you should probably trust it. I don't know that I would. And me. <laughs> blue elephants are beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to talk, just talk briefly about um, the project that you're current, or one of the bazillion projects that you're currently working on, uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark Broadway show, Broadway musical. It's, it's another project with, with Julie Taymor. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and music by U2, the, the, the band U2 wrote. That's not impressive to me. Yeah. I don't know why you think that would be impressive. Yeah, we, we I don't even... It's funny because it's the best of Broadway the, the designers, but we're so infatuated with U2. Every time, <laughs> every time they walk in the room, you, you, everybody stops thinking. But it's, uh, they wrote 13 songs, and it's a very rock and roll, circusy Broadway musical. Julie's done a great job. Um, it's... Uh, it's going to be fascinating. Same design team as Lion King, but cranked up with the music. So when you work in essentially kind of design Disneyland, what do you do for fun? And what do you do to inspire yourself? You know, it's funny. I still sculpt for fun. I sculpt chainsaw sculptures on wood as an Oregonian guy would do. And they're... (laughs) They're like haikus. I do, a, I do a block of wood that I can do in one session, and I get real physical, and I, uh, I, I use four or five chainsaws, and that's what I do. I ride motorcycles in the woods. I, I have a family that I love, and I play music. I'm an amateur musician. All things seem to be tend, tend to be creative things, and I'm real juiced about that. I'm, kind of, I'm very ADD. I have to move between sound and movement and all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And possibly type A. I'm just going to say that, yeah. that that might be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful having you on. We're so, we're so glad that you, that you finally came on to join us. Okay. Thanks. You. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure fabulous. to be here. Michael Curry, everybody. to Livewire Radio, radio that believes that variety is the spice of life, in addition to cumin. Cumin is also a spice, and oregano. There are many spices. Variety is just one of them. Still to come, more from Dirty Mittens and Poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back after this short break.
Welcome back to Livewire Radio. There's a gas station. I'd better pull in here. I'm on E. Again? I know. What happened to that car you were going to buy? The hybrid or biodiesel or hover car or whatever? I don't know. The price of gas finally dropped and, you know. Welcome to BP. How can I help you? Oh, no. Really? No way, Pam. BP? I didn't see the sign. Ugh, what do I do? I'm on E. Uh, ladies, let's just talk about the elephant in the room here, okay? Uh, BP is responsible for a catastrophic oil spill of apocalyptic proportions happening in the Gulf of Mexico right now, and you've just pulled into a BP station to buy petroleum-derived fuel for your gas guzzler. Awkward. Yeah. We get it. We get it. But look, you're already here. You're clearly desperate. Let's just do our business and you can be on your way. No one will ever know. Oh, God. Just fill it up. Right away. I have a terrible feeling about this. I know. Aren't you afraid this whole transaction is going to be all ironic and satirical? (laughs) Well, I am now, I guess. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like you have quite an oil leak happening, miss. See? That's militant irony. Hardcore. Just stop. (laughs) You know... This is kind of funny when you think about it, ladies. Yeah, no, it's really not. Yeah, no. You're right. You know, maybe it's too soon. Uh, how about I top off your fluids? You don't want to run out of oil. <sighs> sure, just do it. Really, Pam? I don't want to run out of oil. Oh, you know what? It can't get any more comically symbolic than this, so well, we're fine. now it probably will since you said that. No, you canceled it out by saying that. Now stop talking about it. What was that? Oops. Oh, God. Oh, no. What the hell, man? Uh, the, the oil hose must have blown a shankler bracket. It's a gusher. You've got to be joking, dude. I know. What are the odds, right? Do something. Turn it off. I can't. The valve is jammed open. Oh, my God, man. Quiet, quiet. Just let me think. Roy, remember your BP training. Yes, of course. The top hat maneuver. What happened? He threw his top hat at it. Weird. And who wears a top hat these days anyway? It's British Petroleum, part of their uniform. Uh, also the monocle. Ah, oh, fiddlesticks. It didn't work. It ruined my hat. I need that hat. My hair's starting to get a little thin on top. Oh, you know? yeah, that's what you should be worried about right now. Go and get some help, for God's sake. I tried, but Rogaine's expensive, and the results... With the uh... oil spill, fool! Just get out of the way. I'll do something. Oh, not in this state, lady. No self-serve. You know, if, if you want to help, take off your pantyhose and stuff them with your hair. We can use oh. it as a boom to contain the spill. What? Roy, is it? Yeah. Uh, do you have a comment card I can fill out because you are an idiot. Oh, idiot like a fox because I just remembered plan B. Top kill. He's got a gun. Are you crazy? Don't shoot my car. He's psychotic. Call 911. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great idea. Get the government involved. You think they're going to know how to handle this situation like this better than me? I work at a gas station. Oil is flooding everywhere. It's headed for that sub shop. Oh, you know what? That should have been a seafood place. You know what I mean? With the whole satire thing. Yeah, or a pet shop. Totally. You know, maybe if we get the Jiffy Lube down the block to drain all the oil into the street, it might reduce the flow of this leak. You know, like a relief well. That idea is so stupid it hurt my mind. You're right. Uh, they're closed. No problem. Think, Roy. Think. W-W-B-P-D. Of course. The, the junk shot. Where the hell is he going? I can't see, but the way this is going, I'll probably come back with a trash can to empty the engine into your car. Oh, yep, here he comes. Yeah. Eat garbage, you oily demon. For the love of God, plug that roiling, Stygian deluge. It stopped. The junk shot worked? No, no, we, we just ran out of oil. Gas tank's full. Thirty-nine ninety-eight is the damage on that. Uh, plus, 
you know, the, the oil. Let's call it 89939 That's absurd. Absurdly reasonable, I know. I gave you a discount. We're going to make bank after the feds clean up all this oil and we sell it to some other sucker. Please pay inside. You ruined my car, shot up my oil pan, emptied trash in my engine. Don't forget the top hat. Stuffed it with that nasty Rogaine sponge of a top hat. You polluted the whole block with toxic oil and you expect us to pay you? Oh, you'll pay the price. You'll all pay in the end. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, then. Oh, you called it, Deb. That was very satirical. Did we miss anything? <laughs> nope, I think we about covered it. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Dirty Mittens.
Titans. You are listening to Livewire Radio. I'm your host, Courtney Haumeister. And if you love the show, you'll really love our podcast. All the great content, but portable. Just like one of those cool paper book dealies from the 80s. Those were awesome. And now, as promised, a man who has been working for the last hour while you were just lounging in your theater seat or your chairs at home or your couch or wherever you might be sitting, please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. This whole Gulf oil leak thing has me feeling a bit impotent. I just want to do something. So I tried to fix the toilet the other day, and I just happened to have a box of fireworks in the bathroom, because that's a good place to store them for the 4th of July, of course. And I just happened to be smoking a cigar, because I always wanted to be like one of those tweed hat-wearing, blue phrase, cantankerous repairmen from the 20s, so I could say stuff like, Shut your pie hole, we're working here! And before I knew it, I, uh, I blew up the toilet. Water was squirting everywhere. I was a bit disoriented. I was so mad, I started screaming at the pieces of the toilet. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that I had had three pots of coffee that day and was feeling a bit hyper and diuretic at the same time. Water was going into the hall, and I was up to my ankles, which made me feel even more diuretic. And I couldn't have that, so I went out to the garage to build some wood stilts like a good Oregonian would. And I looked in the mirror, but I just seemed so plain like a burnt marshmallow on two toothpicks. So I had to rip all the curtains off all the walls and decided there was no way I could attack this leak without a 50-foot-long cape of wavering wonderment like the kind Siegfried and Roy's white tigers would want to explode out from behind and kill a guy in a pterodactyl costume. (laughs) So I was feeling rather operatic and heroic at the same time like Elmer Fudd. Killed a wabbit, killed a wabbit. And the echo in the bathroom was amazing, and I felt like Pavarotti wearing the world's largest shower curtain, which, let's face it, he frequently did. (laughs) I felt so damn epic, I wanted to be skating across Iceland with a volcano epically exploding in the distance. If I could just freeze all the water in here, I thought, the problem would be solved. If I could just put some skates on these stilts, and then my magnificent quilt of a cape could fly behind me, and I could be as beautiful and sure as a pair of dirty mittens on Dorothy Hamill's 70-year-old shoulders, tied together, swinging over my shoulder, going, swing, swing, yeah, swing, swing, yeah, yeah, like dirty mittens, as I push, scoot, turn, and turn, fountain of water, push, scoot, turn, and turn, water flooding into the hall. If I could only achieve that, I thought I'd fix this leak. I'd fix the world. I'd fix my very soul. So what I learned tonight is just listen to your daughter when she says, Daddy, why don't you just take that crap off and turn the thingy off behind the deal? (laughs) Thank you. Scott Cool, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for coming out.
thanks to our guests tonight, Shannon Wheeler, Daniel McLaughlin, Michael Curry, and Dirty Mittens. The Mutton Chops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Tonkin Torp, Fitchin Associates, the Falcon Art Community, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, and listeners such as you fine people. Additional support by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, enhancing the quality of life of Oregonians through support of the arts and education. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brunberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Paul O'Brien. Lighting by Rhiannon Rodriguez. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath. Performer Laura Faye Smith and Siren of Sound, Pat Janowski. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. Production management by Drew Flynn. Theme by Courtney Mondrele and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Old Wives Tales. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our wardrobe stylist is Cami Gray. Learn to dress like us on CamiGray.com. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. For more information about Livewire or to download our podcast, visit our website at LiveWireRadio.org. This is Tyler Hughes, and thanks for the memories. I don't really remember anything, but I'm assuming there were memories to be had. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.